Hello and welcome to the latest confectionery news podcast. My name is Anthony Myers and this week, ahead of the World Cocoa Foundation partnership meeting in Berlin, I talked to Anthony Fountain, Managing Director of Voice Network, a watchdog for a reformed cocoa sector. In an interview we recorded in September, we discussed the raising of the floor price of cocoa by the Ghanaian and Ivorian governments, the price of cocoa in general, and self-certification schemes, and the role of multinationals. Take a listen. Yeah, so Voice is is an umbrella association of NGOs and trade unions working in sustainability in cocoa. Um, We've been a watchdog and a catalyst for the cocoa sector for the past decade or so now. where we think that it's our job to follow what's happening in the cocoa sector, to follow it critically um, as well as constructively at the same time. Um, We do uh, research, uh, publications, short papers, but also uh, the biennial Cocoa Barometer, a a larger state of sustainability overview of the cocoa sector. Um, And we do a lot of advocacy work at a global level as well. So... um, the uh, the positions that we take in the barometer and our position papers, we also try to translate that into conversations with um, with the global cocoa sector, be that uh, companies, um, umbrella organizations, and governments of both producing and consuming countries. Okay, thank you. Um, the the Voice Network has recently um, stated that it welcomes the initiative, uh, the the Living Income Differential Initiative. Uh, set up by the governments of Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire to improve the income uh, of uh, to improve the income situation for farmers. Although it has concerns, um, you say um, about about the about the scheme. C- can you tell me more about the concerns that the Voice Network might have? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that it's really important to state that what the Ivorian and Ghanaian governments are doing in raising the price for the farmer is a really important step forward. Um, Farmers do not, as a rule, have the kind of market power to dictate or to even engage in price conversations. They are basically told what the price should be. And so the Ivorian and Ghanaian governments now stepping in and to use the market power that they do have to, to, to raise the price for cocoa farmers is a really good step. Um, And it's also something that we've been calling on for years for these governments to do. Um, But we have also always said that combined with price interventions, you need to see other interventions as well, because otherwise you're going to get a whole lot of unintended negative uh, consequences. Um, If you raise the price for something, there's a good chance that more people will want to be selling you that product. Uh, So there's a chance of overproduction um, caused to a large extent by deforestation. So we're going to need to see measures in place that will ensure that this will not lead to more deforestation. And that that requires coherent overall strategies that look at the breadth of everything. You can't just intervene in one aspect. You need to have holistic strategies. I think that you see some people saying, oh, but this is a bad idea, we shouldn't do it because it's going to create overproduction. No, it's a good idea, we should do it, and we should put in place a coherent overall strategy. Um, If you don't have a coherent overall strategy, then any individual initiative you're going to try is not going to succeed. We might as well stop doing anything. Um, that, That does not sound like the best way forward, so we're not 
suggesting that at all. So we need overall strategies. We need um, to also actually, one of the concerns is the price isn't high enough. Um, even though we're going to see a $600 increase at Farmgate for the cocoa farmers, which is a lot, it's almost a 50% increase, the the cocoa price should probably be closer to, well, fair trade suggests $2,700 at Farmgate in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire, and the current pricing system will set it at about 1860 so we're still um, a good eight $900 off for Cote d'Ivoire for what it needs to be. And then we need to make sure that the money actually goes to the farmers as well. There's not a lot of transparency yet on what this $400 that the governments are charging the companies extra. There's not a lot of clarity where that money is going, and we need to see a lot more transparency there. Um, forest protection must be a part of this, and um, that will require a lot more traceability. Um, and, you know, we're going to finally need to see those joint monitoring mechanisms that the Ivorians and Ghanaians have promised through Cochrane and Forests Initiative. Um, there are also going to be human rights implications to a price increase. Um, we think that we need to increase the prices, and we think we also need to look at ensuring that this does not mean that more children, for example, are used to grow cocoa. Um, so it will require a shoring up of the child labor interventions um, that are slowly starting to be rolled out and developed in the cocoa sector. Um, and we're basically going to need to make sure that there is more and more checks and balances in the system on overproduction. And then that's just for Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana. We actually think that looking at living income and increasing prices is not just a problem in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire, but that all of the cocoa farmers in the world should have the ability to earn a decent income. And one of the elements in that is that you pay a fair price. It's definitely not the only element, but this is a, an initiative on increasing the price. And so we think that this is an important part of it. Okay. Um, do you think it, you've got the old kind of market adage, really, supply and demand? I mean, cocoa, cocoa prices remain stuck, don't they, at unsustainably low prices? I mean, you know, does, does the market price need to, to shift? And how, how, can that be, uh, how can that be achieved? So that requires some um, economic theory behind it. Um, the problem is not all of the actors in the supply chain are part of this supply and demand mechanism. I see. About three, about three years ago, the Dutch um, Market Research Agency, SEO, did a research into um, uh, into um, the, the, the consolidation of the cocoa market, the concentration of the cocoa market, and what that does to cocoa prices. And their, their, their results were, they said, well, because everybody is big, you know, the, 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 the countries are big, the traders are big, the processors are big, the manufacturers are all big. They've all got countervailing market powers, and so the price is not artificially low. And if you read that paper, you would be forgiven for thinking that the price is fine based on the market. But there's this one sentence in there that's almost like a throwaway sentence that says, oh, by the way, farmers have so little market power that we've actually decided to ignore them for this analysis because their power is not measurable. Well, that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem right there. And so supply and demand isn't working because the whole system has decided to ignore the beginning of the supply chain and 
and it doesn't just do that in cocoa, but in just about every major commodity, farmers have no voice at the table when it comes to, yes. to dictating what the price is. Uh -huh. um, and so, and so what we need is are actually two major sets of interventions. One in cocoa is we need to see prices go up. But the other thing is, is that cocoa still is a relatively attractive crop to many farmers. And that's because in other commodities, it's, e it's equally as bad, if not worse. And so we need to also see interventions in other crops than just cocoa. But we need to start somewhere. So starting in cocoa is fine. Um, but then you do need to start some, you need to start rolling that out to other commodities as well. But farmers need to actually start to have market power again. And as long as farmers don't have market power, it's pretty okay if their governments decide to use their market power on their farmers' advantage. The thing is, it does need to be in the advantage of the farmer. And so that's why we need transparency and accountability so that these governments can be held accountable to make sure that their farmers are benefiting from these interventions. Um, self, uh, the certification schemes need to be more transparent in in what they're trying to achieve uh, with with in relation to livelihood and and farmer poverty. Mm -hmm. So, in all fairness, I think that the standards have all released reports on what their impact has been in the past two years or so, mm -hmm. and those reports have not been very. Um, they've not been very uh, uh, extravagantly positive about the impact that certification has on uh, on farmer poverty. Yes. Um, I, I don't see a, a, a certificate or a standard uh, as a solution to the poverty issue. Also because I think certification is a bandage against the worst bleeding let's use an analogy here but the wound needs to heal itself the body needs to heal and i think that if we look at poverty is not something that you can solve just by doing the standard you need to actually the body needs to heal the system is broken and a certification standard is a is a attempt at, at mitigating the worst elements of this of the system but the system itself needs to change um, additionally a farming standard kind of implies that if you improve the farming the farmer will no longer be poor which which if you think about it in, in essence implies that the farmers are the problem and I don't think the farmers are the problem. I think the system is the problem. And sure, farmers actually need to improve their agricultural practices. And there's a lot of things that farmers can do better. But if you look at certification, the only thing that that says is, oh, the farmers need to do this. The farmers need to do that. The farmers need to do X and Y and Z. But the problem to a large extent is that the multinationals need to be held a lot more accountable. And they need to start changing their ways of working. And um, so... Maybe instead of approaching things through a farmer standard, we actually need standards for multinationals. Um, interestingly enough, most consumers think these standards are there to hold the multinationals accountable. But in essence, <laughs> in the end, the people that need to comply to the standards are the farmers. So there's, there's, a, there's a really interesting disconnect between expectation and reality in the way far, farming standards are set up and what they can achieve. Um, but I think that we do have standards for multinationals, and they are called laws. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, and so that's where we need to work on. We need to work on the standards for multinationals. These are called laws. So we need to work on legislation to create a level playing field for all the multinationals.
we don't think that voluntary ways forward for multinationals are going to solve the way are going to solve the world's problems because if they were to do so they would already have done so the reason we haven't solved the issues of deforestation and child labor and poverty in the cocoa sector is quite simple we haven't solved those problems because we haven't had to yet there has been nobody that says you have to i have four children if i ask my kids would you please clean up your room and I make it an optional thing, sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. Uh-huh. But as a father, I can also tell them, you have to clean up your room now, and then they have to go and clean up their room. And it's kind of up to governments to tell companies, you have to clean up your supply chain. The analogy goes quite far. Okay, and do you think, uh, then my next question, yes, of course, go- governments of the, um, of the cocoa-producing countries, do you think they should be doing... They, they could be doing more. Do you think more pressure should be um, imposed on them to, to do more? Or do you think they're, they're kind of struggling as well to, to, to come up with solutions to, to this problem? Um, it depends which governments you're talking to. If you look at, for example, in France, the devoir de vigilance law requires multinationals mm-hmm. to live up to certain minimum requirements. And yes. so... Slowly, you're seeing movement there. The Dutch government recently approved a child labor law that's going to require companies to um, to perform due diligence on their child labor system, um, although that law has not been operationalized yet. The Finnish government has announced a due diligence law that's coming on its way, and today... Um, um, whilst we're recording this podcast, the uh, the German civil society, a, a collection of about 60 different civil society organizations, are calling on the German uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel to come up with a due diligence law requiring companies to live up to the United Nations guiding principles uh, on business and human rights. Um, so we're starting to slowly see a movement there. And, and I think that there will also be a movement in the cocoa sector specifically. There's also becoming a increasing voice from some of the multinationals requesting such a legislation because it also works in favor of the multinationals because it means that their competitors can't undercut them on human rights or environmental degradation either that's right the the news this week uh, the eu has backed basically the uh, the living income differential um imposed by Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire and calling on, you know, calling on the chocolate makers to say it shouldn't be a problem, you know, for chocolate makers to, to adopt this, you know, uh, to, to, to adopt a higher price um, as long as as long as their competitors uh, face higher costs as well. So in other words, what's needed across the board is, is an equal playing field. Would, wouldn't you agree? And that's, that's I think that's an important development, would you not say? Absolutely. Um, I think that the commission's standing out and saying, guys, this is actually quite good, Um, is an important signal to everyone that indeed we need to raise the price for farmers. I think there are a a couple of questions um, that need to be put in here, a couple of nuances. Nuance number one, this increase of price of $400 a ton that companies need to pay is... Um, probably going to be about $800 million uh, that it's going to cost them. Three years ago, when the price collapse happened in cocoa, the farmers, it cost the farmers in just Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire alone probably about $3 billion. So (laughs) we're nowhere near the place yet where we're recovering the the price collapses from several years ago. Um, So this is going to cost the companies less than they had in savings 
um, three years ago. Now, some of these savings are transferred back to consumers, et cetera, et cetera. I know that you can't just make it as simple as that, but this won't break the bank because the price is lower than it was before the crash. Uh, Michel Arion, the, uh, the recently um, uh, installed executive director at the ICCO, when he was asked for his response to this new floor price, he said, well, I thought the price would probably be quite a bit higher. Um, yes. um and I think several of us were probably hoping and expecting it to be higher for several reasons. Is It, it must be higher because this new price also won't keep a farmer out of poverty, um, but also because the price has been higher in the past. So if you really want to be ambitious, you go above and beyond, uh, up and over. You don't just kind of go close. Um, so the Ivorian government, the Ghanaian government deciding to do this is a good thing. Um, it could be higher. The European Commission willing to support this, though, is is a new thing because usually the Commission tends to be a little bit hesitant when, um, in the end, it will mean that consumers need to pay higher prices. But the fact of the matter is, is that consumers are basically being able to buy cheap chocolate at the costs of deforestation, the environment, and farmer poverty. And so those are starting to be unacceptable to the Commission. And so we're living in an interesting time where nowadays we're starting to see more and more this idea that perhaps we need to pay more for our products because we're not paying enough and it's it's costing <laughs> a lot. Um, it's costing a lot in, 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 in the sense of it's, it's, it's wrecking the environment and it's costing a lot in the sense that it's wrecking lives of farmers in extreme poverty and child labor. Absolutely. So, do, yeah, sorry. Do you think uh, consumer pressure as well will now will have a bearing on, on all of this? You know, consumers are becoming more sophisticated, aren't they, about you know, where, certain, where certain things come from and how it's farmed, how it's produced, how things are manufactured. Um, so do you, do you see consumer, consumer pressure having, um, you know, having, a, having an effect on, on the price of cocoa and the conditions that it's, um, that it's farmed? I think that consumer pressure is a very important element to this. Um, and I think specifically what you see in the European Commission's position is that um, a, a big part of that has to do with uh, deforestation and agroforestry. Yes. And that really has, to a large extent, been thanks to several very prominent um, uh, uh, consumer-faced um, uh, campaigns and publications, etc., as well as this whole child labor element that that has now come through the uh, a recent slew of very high profile newspaper articles and television programs on child labor, and so that that kind of pressure really does help in bringing the conversation forward. But we also need to see that, and that's a call also to the European Commission. Is I think we we're going to have to be quite realistic that we can't just make these things about deforestation or agroforestry, but it needs to be coupled with the human rights and deforestation aspects as well. And so I'm, I'm quite happy with the Commission's first steps, but I think that it's first steps and they need to go broader. I think it needs to be coupled with a strong regulation at European Commission level um, towards both deforestation and human rights. And it needs to be coupled with a strong um, bilateral engagement with the producing governments to ensure that there's sufficient policy development and, and infrastructural investments and developments in the origin countries. 
fair trade are set to raise uh, the the minimum price and premiums by 20% on the 1st of October. Um, mm-hmm. Does the voice network welcome this? Do you think it do you think it will have an effect? Do you think it goes far enough? Do you think um, you, just what, what's your general opinion on 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 that initiative? So there, th- those are two different questions. Do we think it's a good step? That, the, that Fairtrade is doing this? Absolutely. We think that their new minimum price is a very important step. And even though next year these uh, Ivorian Ghanaian price increases will be higher, this year that is not the case. And so Fairtrade doing that now, yes. raising the price, is, a, is an important move that I think is, is a step in the right direction. We also think that um, the other standards should follow this instead of sticking at the lower level. We, we're afraid of kind of downwards competitive pressure from Oots and Rainforest on this. Um, so, yeah, we think it's a good step forward that Fairtrade are taking. At the same time, um, we also think it's not enough. And one of the reasons we think it's not enough is because of um, what Fairtrade themselves have published. They have published two price levels. One, the price level they're going to pay this year. And the second is the price level they know they should be paying. And somewhere it seems to be... Um, you know, they're, you know, in my conversations with them, and I understand it, you know, they're going as far as they think they can do before they start losing too much market share. Mm-hmm. But somewhere it's complex because how can you call yourself fair trade if even, you know, by your own publications, you're not paying a price that you should be paying? Um, that is a complex <laughs> issue. But I also know that I was sitting with, with with several representatives from pharma co-ops um, with Fairtrade a while ago, and they were asking us, so kind of, do you think we should just charge this living income reference price, which is the price they should be paying, um, or should we do this stepwise approach? And I said, no, you should do this as quickly as possible, because if you know that this is what you should be paying, morally speaking, how can you um, how can you justify not paying that? And then several of the co-op guys that were sitting next to me were saying, not so fast, we want to be able to sell our cocoa. Wow, it's a very, very complex uh, situation. And, you know, as, as, as you say, and, how, you know, there are lots of people and lots of governments, lots of organizations trying to do, trying to do good, trying to do the best thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it just comes down to, does it come down to, it comes down to economics, doesn't it? I think, you know, it's the whole... It's you know fair trade hands are tied to an extent. Governments, c- companies, um, there's no easy solution, is there, to this? Um, no, none of this is easy because every solution that will come in yes. will have a whole bunch of other things that you need yes, to solve. Yes. Um, but at the same time, there are identifiable steps forward, and one of them is the the current decision by the Ghanaian and Ivorian government to raise the prices, Fairtrade can't do that on their own, although they're starting to do something a little bit this year. Next year, everyone that's going to buy cocoa from Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire must pay at least $400 more. Mm. That goes to show that, you know, there is a role to play for governments. Yes. And not just for the Ivorian and Ghanaian governments. They can They can play a role in creating certain more balanced power relations between the the producers of cocoa and the buyers of cocoa, but also a role for the consuming governments. And I think specifically the European Commission has a role to play that it says, 
they actually can require things that I was in Abidjan this week speaking to companies and I was asking them, so, so are you guys going to pay these $400 living income differential? And they looked at me like, we don't have a choice. Of course we're going to pay it. We need the cocoa. Yeah, and it is a requirement, so we will pay it. And Ghana and it's Cote d'Ivoire are the biggest producers, aren't they? You know, they have the economies of scale, I guess. So they have, a they have economies of scale. Yes. Yeah, you might be able to source a little bit of cocoa from other countries, but yes. nowhere near the levels that no. you need. And no. so uh, the same thing goes, I think, for the European Union. You know, Europe imports about 1.7 million tons of cocoa and there's only 4.4 million tons of cocoa out there we do a third of all of the chocolate consumption in the world mm. um now if you put in an import regulation you might be able to try to sell a little bit more in other markets but believe you me the large multinationals have been trying to break into the chinese markets for for decades now to very little success they need to sell to europe mm. and so much like you, the companies must buy from Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire, they must sell to Europe. So if Europe puts in place a set of rules and regulations, then they must comply. Mm. 